everyone. I'm Celeste Headley, and you're listening to That's a Good Question. It's part of the Women Amplified podcast from the Conferences for Women. Age bias can affect employees at all stages of their career, and research shows it's hitting young workers just as much as their older counterparts. Today's listener is a young woman in a director-level role, leading a massive team in a critical area of compliance, and she finds herself in this very situation. In this episode, we'll explore ways to boost your professional presence, increase your influence, and communicate with confidence. I am so excited to be joined by our guest expert, Susan Poser, who's VP of Culture and Engagement for Oracle's North America Infrastructure Sales. She brings more than 25 years of experience in marketing, finance, operations, and program management, and she has some great advice for our listener. Let's get started. Bridget. Thank you so much for joining us. And I love this question that you've brought to us. So I wonder if you would start by telling us a little bit about your position where you work. Sure. So I am a director level position in higher education. I have worked in higher education for the past seven years or so, doing the same work at various levels. I support students with disabilities, making sure that they have equal access in the university setting. And I have experience working at colleges and universities with multiple campuses and supporting students from, you know, fresh out of high school, 18, to students who are coming back for a second degree or a first time degree later in life, as old as I think my oldest student was in their mid 70s when I was working with them. So I've worked with students across the age span and across a variety of different types of institutions as well. And it sounds like even though you have a quite a bit years of experience in your field, you are working with not just students, but also faculty who are in some cases quite a bit older than you are and are making that known to you. It's causing problems. You say it's challenging to get folks to take you seriously. What does that mean? Yeah. So not only do I work with students, sometimes who are older or even much older than I am, I work with a lot of faculty who are older than I am, who have been teaching for 30, 40, 50 years, as well as supervising staff. I've supervised staff that are close in age to me. I'm about 30 years old. But I've also supervised staff who are in their uh, 60s and 70s and kind of everything in between. And so it definitely, I think, poses some challenges in that sometimes I feel like in all the roles that I've had in higher ed, you know, not anyone in particular, I feel like sometimes faculty and staff and even folks that I supervise have looked at me kind of being like, well, what do you know? Like, how could you possibly, you know, presume to supervise me or to to tell me, you know, what we need to do here, being fresh out of grad school or being so new to the field when I've been teaching for 30 years or I've been working at the college for 25 years. And that can be really challenging. You know, I've had scenarios where folks have opted to go above me to my supervisors and nearly all of the roles that I've had to kind of express concern about my ability to lead. And the common theme tends to be 
the perceived lack of experience or things like, I don't like your tone. I won't forget that one for quite a while because I felt like I was having a conversation with my father after I asked him about something when I was 15. It sat with me weird because I could not envision a scenario where that same conversation would have happened had I been 10 or 15 years older. It was an odd interaction and something that, well, I haven't luckily seen that degree of engagement in a while, the undertones still very much seem to appear. Yeah, that's something your father says to you. (laughs) You're not overreacting. Okay, I feel as though not just young women, but many women have had this experience. So I should bring in our expert now. Susan Poser is VP of Culture and Engagement for Oracle's North America Sales. Susan, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, happy to be here. Okay, so you heard what Bridget was talking about in terms of just being treated with disrespect and being condescended to. What are your thoughts? Well, I could certainly see that it would be very challenging. And I think there's probably a couple of things that I would suggest. One of the first things I think I would suggest is try to find some folks out there that report to you or that are working for you that you think you could build an allyship with. I would look for the people that seem to already kind of be the, kind of like the natural leader or the person that people tend to follow or listen to, even though they're not. They may not be the managers, right? Right, they may be an individual contributor, but you know, there are those people that kind of have that natural skill where people tend to listen and follow to them, right? I would look for those people and kind of pull them aside and have a one-on-one with them to learn a little bit about what they're working on and how you might be able to help them and share with them, you know, and be vulnerable, right? Let them know that you're feeling a little challenged and that you could really leverage their help when you're presenting or you're sharing a new idea for them to kind of head nod or for them to chime in and, and say something positive. You know, of course, you've got to share the idea with them in advance so that they know and they can agree to it. But I think that, you know, finding two or three of these types of folks in your organization would really help. And they could then become great partners for you because I'm sure they've got challenges that you could help them with as well. And this would be a way that they could help you. Do you think that's something that would work? Yeah, I think it would. I mean, we definitely have folks at my current role and in prior roles who are, you're right, they're not necessarily managers or they might be, but that people just tend to gravitate towards and tend to look to them as someone of authority and who kind of know what's best for the area or the institution. And I like the idea of kind of bringing those folks on board to try to mitigate what I would consider almost like organizational culture challenges as opposed to just kind of general like difficulty, I guess, if that makes sense. Because I think I've definitely done this in the capacity of I have this resource that I need and the more people that can say, oh yeah, you know, Bridget needs this resource in her area or at her particular office space, the more people that can say that, you know, the more likely something like that is to change. But I think engaging that similar tactic in more of a cultural institutional feel change. It makes a lot of sense. I like that idea a lot. Excellent. And don't forget, I mean, I'm sure there's more strategies for 
relating to your coworkers and the people that you work with. But I don't want you to forget yourself, Bridget, because it sounds like you have a lot of confidence. You seem to be aware of your strengths and your expertise. But the thing is, is that in the same way that affirmations help us by working on our subconscious, these negative things, these small comments that people make, they do creep in. They seep in like dripping water. And you have to be aware of (laughs) how they can ultimately have an effect on you. And I wonder, Susan, are there things that she can do to sort of protect her own well-being? You know, what I find that works for me is I kind of keep a folder of like kudos and not just kudos, but also like the letter for the promotion or the letter to ask you to do a special project because of something that you did. Or like earlier this week, we had a very successful event. My boss called me and then she sent an email out congratulating my team for the program that we just executed. And I file those away in this little kudos folder. And so whenever I'm questioning whether I'm in the right role or whether I'm doing the right thing, it's always nice to go back and read those and reflect on those. And it gives me that confidence that I am doing the right thing. You know, maybe for the moment, I don't feel good about it, that I think reading those positive sentiments then kind of help push those negative sentiments aside. Because I think that's the worst thing that you can do for yourself is having that negative sentiment, especially when you are out in front of your people, because they will sense that lack of confidence. It's kind of like the the wolves that sense the fear, right? I mean, so I think you need to always exude that confidence. And I think it always helps to either read those things before you're out presenting. I always find just doing that superwoman stance and saying, I got this gives me a little bit more extra confidence before I start a presentation. But I think just kind of feeding yourself first would, I think, help you. What do you think, Bridget? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely, I have some of those items and I think I can probably be more intentional about looking back on them every so often because you're right. But I like to think that I'm pretty good at what I do and that I have the knowledge to do it with a high level of accuracy and efficiency. But it's hard when you do have these kind of side comments or whispers of, well, you know, can she do this? Does she really know this? Things like that. Or like reminders of, well, as you're aware, X, Y, Z of something that I am absolutely very aware of because it's a key tenant of my role. It can be hard to kind of block some of those things out. So I think being more intentional about about kind of looking back on those things, I am a huge proponent of chatting things through with outside sources. You know, I think this is a great opportunity to hear from yourself of like, yeah, other people experience this, other young women in high-level roles experience this is very affirming. And I, I do the same thing with therapy. You know, I, I'm a huge proponent of therapy. I think everybody can benefit from it. And I'll often use that as an opportunity to say, hey, like from an outside perspective, do you think I missed the mark here? Or am I picking up on, you know, someone else's problem with how I'm doing this, someone else's perception as opposed to you know, my own like actual reality. I definitely think I can be intentional there. It can also take up a lot of your time if it's sitting there in your subconscious and you're, you know how sometimes we kind of argue back at people? Yeah. (laughs) And it sounds as though you have spent time thinking about that person who said, I don't like your tone. (laughs) And that means that's taking space in your mind. 
Yeah. And I am very notable for coming up with the most amazing comebacks about three months after the event. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's perfect timing. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, this is taking up space, not just in your mind, but in your life. And that could be used elsewhere (laughs) for other things. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just something to keep in mind and to watch for and protect against to make sure that it's not leading you down a a road in which you're being distracted from the stuff that's actually useful for you. Make sure it's all serving you. But in terms of getting people's trust, Susan, what else might Bridget be doing? Because oftentimes when people think someone's too young or too inexperienced for a role, it's a matter of trust, right? They don't trust you to do what you need to do. Yep. I find just having Q&A sessions you know, in smaller groups where you can answer and be authentic and let them ask any questions in terms of why you got into this role, what do you know? And if you don't have an answer to a question, it's fair to say, I don't know. Even someone like Larry Ellison, who started Oracle and is in meetings around different things, if he doesn't have an answer, he will say, I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. And I think it's fair to say that. I think that they would appreciate the honesty instead of you trying to fumble and make something up because I think that will make it appear as though you're trying to make something up, right? So I think it's just fair to say, you know what? I appreciate the question. I don't have an answer to that right now, but I will get back to you on that. But take the time to hear their questions, even asking them questions, right? To better understand their challenges because I think they would appreciate that, right? That you're not just coming in like you know it all, that you're going to take the time to understand what problems are they facing and how can you help? You know, I'm a big proponent of servant leadership and helping to figure out how I can help the people on my team be successful. You're listening to That's a Good Question, part of the Women Amplified podcast from the Conferences for Women. We are in the thick of conference season. The sold-out Pennsylvania conference just wrapped up. The sold-out Texas conference happens in just a few weeks, followed by the sold-out Massachusetts conference. Did you miss out on tickets this year? Well, here is some good news. If you're on the West Coast, you can still get in to the California Conference for Women in Santa Clara on February 29th. Tickets and more info at caconferenceforwomen.org. And if you're not local to California or any of our regional events, or if you want to share the Conferences for Women experience with a remote team or multiple offices, you're invited to a brand new, first of its kind, National Conference for Women this March 14th. It's 100% online, so you can join from anywhere, and it's going to bring you the best of what the Conferences for Women has to offer. Inspiring keynotes, practical breakout sessions, one-on-one career resources, and unique ways to connect online. This is not a Zoom meeting or a webinar. It is a one-day event attended by thousands of women across the country, and it's all happening March 14th. Learn more and register today at conferencesforwomen.org. Now, let's get back to our conversation with our listener and guest expert, Susan Poser from Oracle. So what about that, Bridget? Do you have opportunities for Q&As, especially where you can just kind of open it up 
to figure out what are the things that either the students or faculty need help with. Yeah, I think we've used Q&A as an opportunity in the past, and I enjoy Q&As. In fact, they're one of my favorite things about my role in working with students and faculty is I like when people ask questions because I agree it gives an opportunity to build that rapport. I like the idea of kind of holding them a bit more broadly. You know, oftentimes we're focusing around specific topics or like a specific concern. But I like the idea of being a bit more proactive and saying like, hey, I'm going to hold these maybe regular opportunities for folks to just come in and ask questions, whether it's in a small group or one-on-one, but also doing that more often with my staff, I think, you know, would provide that opportunity for people to feel like they can ask questions and get answers and know that I am someone that if I don't know the answer, I'm not going to try to make it up. And I don't want to be that person. I want to be someone who is comfortable and okay to say, you know, I'm not really sure. Let me get back to you on that. Let me get some more info. So I really like that idea. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Do you guys use something like a online communication platform or like we use Slack, right, for collaboration? internal chat kind of platform. Do you guys have something like that as well that you leverage? We have Teams. We do a lot with Teams and Zoom and then like Office 365. I've used Google as well at other institutions. So it just kind of depends on where I've been. I've not used Slack before, but Google and 365 are primarily what I'm familiar with. I'm just thinking one of the things that we've done here that has been very successful is we just have a Slack Every other week, we have this, what we call open book, ask me anything. And we have different leaders because we have a lot of leaders in our organization, but you could open it up to your team. Like for an hour, every other Thursday, I'll be on the ask me anything channel. You know, feel free to come on and ask me anything. Oh, I really like that. I like that both from like a professional standpoint, but also from working with our students standpoint. I feel like that's like a very popular thing right now, like AMA, ask me anything. And students are really into that. So I like that from actually both perspectives. That's a great idea. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, keeping in mind that research shows counterintuitively that when you tell people you don't know something, that phrase, I don't know, but I'll find out actually increases, not only increases people's trust in you, but it increases their opinion of your knowledge and your expertise, which is exactly what you want they're more likely to say that you're knowledgeable and experienced when you say, I don't know, but I'll find out. Which is funny, right? Because it is counterintuitive when you say, I don't know. Yeah, it is. They they appreciate that you don't know. Yeah. So having (laughs) that opportunity to do that and creating an AMA like that might be just exactly what you need. On the other hand, I would say, and and probably Susan would want to add into this, keep in mind the 2060-20 model And, you know, this started out as a sales technique, but I use it all the time in DEI initiatives, which is that, roughly speaking, you can separate groups of people into 20-60-20, meaning that 20% are going to be on board. They're with you. They're ready to help. They get it. They understand. 20% are what they call the stuck 20. Like, you're not going to shift them. You won't change their opinions. They're not only not going to help, but they sometimes oppose you. But the most important are 60 in the middle. They're the movable middle. And we all tend to put all of our effort in the 20 on the ends. We usually put all of our energy into the either our allies that 
are already on board or the stuck 20 that our energy is wasted on when really most of our energy needs to go to that movable middle in the center. So as you move forward, I would just put an eye to thinking about who are your movable middle. Who are the people like the person who said, I don't like your tone? It's probably a stuck 20. (laughs) Well, so funny enough, that is what I thought too. And I will still never forget that conversation, but that is someone that over the past handful of years, I have actually developed a much smoother working relationship with that I was very surprised by. Because I also thought like, there is no winning this person over. And somehow, I don't know how I did it, but somehow I did, which is refreshing. But I agree, there are definitely people that have come across that I've been in contact with for seven years since my initial starting in the field and there's no changing it. And I like the idea to focus on that middle 60 that that are open to change, but maybe just aren't quite there yet. Yeah, put your energy on those who might be convinced, might be swayed. They're not sure yet. I think that's where you can leverage the 20 on board to help you scale, right? Exactly. That's the advocates that Susan was talking about at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Get them to help you sway. Anything else, Susan, that you can think of? The only thing that comes to mind is just when you're trying to influence maybe some folks that may not necessarily be on your side is understand what the benefit might be to them and position the benefit first in terms of why this is an important initiative. I think that might get their attention. You know, I always find it helps when I'm trying to position something as I talk more about the challenges and the benefits before I talk about the ideas. Mm. I like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. You know, you kind of kind of build that story, right? Here's the problems that we're facing. Here's the current situation. And then here's how we can solve that together. Totally agree with that. That's great. Well, those are all great ideas that frankly, I could use too. So thanks for bringing those questions, Bridget. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on this. This is super cool. I really love this opportunity to, you know, get some advice from folks that have been there and have these similar experiences. And I appreciate it. And Susan, thank you so much as well. It's been a real pleasure getting to know Bridget and sharing some of my best practices. We hope you enjoyed this episode of That's a Good Question. Thanks again to our listener for writing in and to guest expert Susan Poser, VP of Culture and Engagement for Oracle's North America Infrastructure Sales. The Conferences for Women is the largest network of women's conferences in the nation. They draw more than 55,000 women and men to annual events in Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, California, and online. I'm Celeste Headley, and this is Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind and be well.